Hello and welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I am your host, Matthew, and as always, I have my two co's here. Ryan. I'm bubbling. Don't look at Scott. Don't look at him. And Scott. Your eye contact is inappropriate, Matthew. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. Harassment. I don't know about all that. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Just, I, I'll, all I know is that you're going to have to stand in the corner for 15 minutes. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Bye. No, we can do it after the show. <laughs> if you're listening to this, guys, this is kind of a special episode. We uh, have something really cool planned. This is drops uh, on a non-typical release week. We have deviated from the schedule. Uh, Be we, pleased. We argued a fair amount over whether to deviate from the schedule. But the reason for that will come apparent soon. But first, let's get our opening bullshit out of the way. Yes, opening bullshit. How have you guys been and how's your gaming been? My gaming has been pretty good. I, uh, getting my Amber game up and running, uh, Aeon's been going good for the past couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. we're really, we're, we're definitely dialing in on the system yeah, now. Yeah, we also we, ran some shatters. Yeah, we did run some shatters. Oh, that, that game is getting weird. It's getting close to the end, which I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all wraps up. Yeah. Uh, and, and every, every session gets you closer to that sweet, sweet sci-fi space opera goodness, listeners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's going really good. Werewolf's. Kind of getting back to semi-regular. We're still working on schedules. Still working on schedules. Um, but yeah, no, it's been good. It's been good. Uh, you know, I've been playing uh, video games off and on. Um, I've gotten my brain hooked into Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms, which is really unfortunate because it's it's just a Skinner box. And Oh, you found Oh, no. But it's fun. What color is the pretty button? Uh, let's see. Is the, it gold? I, I think it's uh, I think it's green. Oh, oh, green's a good, good, warm, yeah. welcoming color. Yeah, it's also the color of the thing that'll fly out of you. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you're gonna make a cash if you let it. You know, if you let I, okay, it. I, I, I have a very policy. If if a game keeps my attention, I play it for over a week. Then, like every month or so, I'll make a purchase. Yeah, just because they made a good game, and I haven't paid any. You want to support the developers? Yeah, this absolutely. Plus that way, I, I need those loot boxes. I need those chests filled with gold. Quote no, unquote. no, back up, no, back but they have up. Special items and. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, what are you That's doing? Uh, <laughs> playing another game that has a lot of loot boxes. In yes, it, but it I've does. never I've never purchased a single one because I paid up front for the game. Oh well. Uh, it was Overwatch free weekend. Uh, I've I'm. On the fence as to whether I will ever play on Overwatch Free Weekend again. <laughs> uh, and just for all of you people who played it this weekend and only this weekend, uh, I'm not trash. You are. <laughs> <laughs> Declarative statement here well, on Paul Also, you may only notice, uh, only people with below level 10 say THX team <laughs> when we lose. It's GG. It's oh, it's GG. You can you're put n- as much shit and and snark on that GG as you want. But you, but, but you're it's not G fucking G. G. Yeah, you're not getting my sportsmanship endorsement for fucking sure. How about that? <laughs> How about that? I haven't really been doing much tabletop, and that wasn't with you guys. Uh, that's <laughs> actually the same thing. Here is true. I'm kind of molecules are vibrating because of Amber. Uh, Scott has shared me with an interesting document today about Redma, which uh, if you listen, his Amber game uh, for uh, uh, Simulacra TV. So, Simulacra uh, Radio is probably the. Okay, that if that's you listen to Simulacra Radio, 
E- That's not going to be out for a while. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to hype. Get, hype. hype. We have to hype too it. much. We'll gird your loins. We will then. hype it when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of prep work that I need to get into it. Yes. Oh, yeah. and and just to get this out of the way, uh, congratulations to whatever kick fun- Kickstarter got funded today, yesterday, all whatever, of them. this week, all of them. Who cares? Oh, and, and congratulations to everyone releasing their games at Gen Con. And Absolutely. to every- and that is. Uh, kind of the reason we're out of schedule. Uh, it's releasing the day of Gen Con, which is mm-hmm. for us to actually have foresight into like the exact happenings in the moment we dropped the episode. It's kind of weird, <laughs> but it was very much warranted because of the games uh, that yeah. are releasing at Gen Con. There's this little one that you guys may have heard of has to do with your good friends, the vampires and not the shiny ones. Nope. Uh, uh, it uh, Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition drops at Gen Con and we somehow through luck or magic or them being really nice to us secured an interview with someone important yes with uh, mr jason carl who is a uh, uh, big up in that i believe there he's handling a lot of the community, community yeah outreach. he is officially credited as the white wolf producer that's what his mm-hmm. job title is um and yeah and you may know him if you've been keeping up with the white wolf stuff that's been going on especially with the release of vampire fifth edition he did a very large ama um, to help answer a lot of the questions that were sort of around concerning the stance that White Wolf has concerning certain issues. And we continue to ask him anything, but nothing about Antifa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Re- that was really weird, guy who asked about that. That was a very uh, unusual thing to ask, guy who's obviously part of the alt-right. <laughs> <laughs> but without any further ado, I think we will go ahead and get into that interview. Yeah, uh, enjoy. So, without further ado, uh, I want to go ahead and uh, welcome our guest onto the show. Uh, this is Jason Carl of White Wolf, uh, a luminary in his own right from uh, doing all manner of things from Mind's Eye Theater, Dungeons and Dragons, and now, obviously, White Wolf Entertainment. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Wow, luminary. I, I don't know if I would go quite that far. Certainly been involved with, uh, with White Wolf and Vampire the Masquerade for a long time. Thank you for having me. Um, it's great to be here. Absolutely. Well, you, your name's on a whole bunch of books, so I think luminary applies. <laughs> Pretty big CV. Yeah. All right. I apologize a little bit for my voice. I'm recovering from the summer cold. Uh, not usually quite this uh, quite this resonant. Sure, that's a, that's that's fair. Uh, they deal with me all the time, so yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just always like this. It'll be just fine. Um, we hope. Uh, hopefully, you're feeling okay and better now because I know you're about to go to Gen Con. Is that correct? That is correct. Get sick all over again. <laughs> <laughs> we're we are all uh, familiar with uh, when White Wolf used to have a big presence at Dragon Con because we're all Atlanta based. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, Gen Con's a better fit, uh, so we we don't take it too hard. <laughs> Uh, if if you don't mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your history in the industry, and, and history as a gamer in general? Yeah, how'd you get started? Oh, you bet. Absolutely. Um, like most gamers, uh, I came to the hobby through um, tabletop role-playing. I discovered Dungeons & Dragons as a teenager growing up in rural Maine. And uh, I like to say jokingly that uh, the D&D saved my life. And what I mean by that is it inspired me to um, investigate uh, all manner of subjects that were just that were just not um, uh, not readily visible to me growing up when and where I did. Mm-hmm. I learned about literature and geography and architecture and poetry and mythology and art um, and decision making and, and project management through playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends. And um, the the lifelong ambition that came out of that was to to write Dungeons and Dragons books. 
I eventually got a chance to do exactly that uh, when I was at Wizards of the Coast. I joined to work on Magic the Gathering's tournament system, uh, and eventually Wizards of the Coast acquired um, the Dungeons & Dragons brand, and I got a chance to work on, on that as well. At about the same time, uh, I discovered Vampire the Masquerade uh, through uh, my local bookstore. I just bought a copy of the book and was completely, uh, completely enthralled. This was... As much as I loved other role-playing games, this was something incredibly new. I'd never seen it before. No one ever had. Had a completely different look and feel, um, very different motif. And uh, it wasn't long before I found the, um, the World of Darkness community. And that, uh, that definitely became um, a focus uh, of my life. Uh, eventually, I was able to get a chance to freelance for White Wolf. In fact, I met White Wolf for the first time at DragonCon, their mm-hmm. home turf. Uh, and since then, um, it's been it's been one of my great passions in life to um, to share stories of the world of darkness with other people, uh, especially its community. Uh, any chance I get. Uh, so, I'm gonna ask because you saw the was this the big emerald like green book on the shelf from Vampire? Yes, it was. This was uh, Vampire the Masquerade first edition, <laughs> 1991. <laughs> Uh, I was too young. Yeah, you were too young. That book is entrancing. I don't blame you at all because when you started talking about that book, I was like, I, I'm right there with you. I know exactly what you're from. I'm like, what is that? What is this? It has this weird green color. It's got vampire on it. And it's got like a rose. I think there was a rose on the cover. I believe so. There was a, a red. Uh, there was definitely a red uh, rose on the cover, and uh, it had um, amazing black and white illustrations, and pen and ink, and poetry, and it was. It was very atmospheric. Yeah, and it presented itself unlike any other role playing game that I'd ever seen. Uh, that is a hundred percent true, um, and uh, yeah, that's why I think I think that's why it in Vampire in general endures so much even now is because it mm-hmm. was it was very seminal and very uh, and got directly into sort of the zeitgeist of the nineties and sort of the the punk aesthetic and the idea of you can be something different and a little edgy, a little dark. Um, yeah. And, and that kind of gravitates, especially to like a teenager, just like a teenager doing doing your thing, trying to find your own voice and your own identity. You're like, I'll, I want to try this out. 14-year-old Ryan definitely, you know, had feelings about it. <laughs> As did 16-year-old Scott. Yeah. Uh, it was it – was, it was – it was mind blowing. Like I, I, I actually never really got into Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. It just never, my life never intersected it. Uh, but mm-hmm. I did get into Vampire uh, pretty, pretty early, pretty young, and it, it, it imprinted on me pretty hard. <laughs> now that we know a little bit about you, um, let's dive into Vampire Fifth Edition because that's yep. primarily what we're here to to, to talk about. Because it's going to release at Gen Con, uh, if my notes are correct, and. Uh, the world will get to see a brand new White Wolf, like their first pro- first main product, and reintroduce this very uh, iconic uh, and sort of nostalgic idea that we all just shared uh, with a brand new generation of people. So with this, um, can you give us a brief overview of what Vampire the Masquerade is? And then sort of if for the people who are probably more experienced or more learned – some of the differences that we will see in the new fifth edition. Absolutely. When we started to craft V5, Vampire the Masquerade fifth edition, V5, we looked all the way back to that book we were all just talking about, the 1991 edition, uh, first edition of Vampire the Masquerade. 
Um, and Vampire was different from other role-playing games uh, in one other important way, and that was the authors told us what its mission was. They put it right in the right in the book. They said, "Here's what this game is about. Here's why we wrote it." And we wrote it because uh, we want to uh, we want to explore the idea of evil. We want to dig deep when we play this game. Uh, this game was designed to provoke and inspire, to make people feel and dream uh, and think critically uh, and have fun. Uh, they said very clearly that they thought that games could be role playing games could be more than just entertainment. Mm-hmm. And we believe in we believe that the mission is valid today. This was revolutionary. In 1991, mm-hmm. uh, and as Vampire the Masquerade exploded into popularity, it felt new and fresh. Uh, it felt uh, very intelligent and very relevant. And um, and now here we are, a little over a quarter of a century later, and we we consider ourselves the the custodians or stewards of of this mission. Um, this is a storytelling game of personal and political horror. And um, the kindred, the, the vampires of the game, exist in our world. Um, and by focusing on this, most these most quintessentially vampire elements and layering them over important social and cultural events of today, we also want to encourage players to examine um, what evil means in the world right now, today, and um, in exploring it to understand how it can be overcome and defeated. So when vampires in 5th edition hunt for blood, pay the price of immortality, or struggle for their own humanity, it affects them, and it affects the world around them. And we invite our players to ask themselves, what do we learn about the world and ourselves through these nightly uh, acts and adventures of the vampires that we're playing? That's essentially what V5 is all about. What is different for V? Someone who's been doing this, all of us have been doing this for a while, what's different? Mm -hmm. I think there are three main areas of difference. And I want to preface this by saying, first of all, that um, fans who have uh, been with White Wolf and Vampire for a long time, even from the beginning, are going to recognize the things that they love. There are as uh, there are as many things that are exactly the same as there are different. In fact, I think that um, the three areas that are um, the most different are um, the overall visual look uh, has gone through a very contemporary update, mm-hmm. as you can see just by looking at the at the book itself. Um, the rule system uh, has been updated and streamlined, and it, it plays somewhat differently uh, than the original. And the story is not different, but continued. Um, as you know, the original, the classic world of darkness, um, you know, ostensibly ended uh, around two, 2004 with the release of the Time of Judgment books, yep. and um, it hasn't been it hasn't been moved forward until this year with the publication of Beckett's Jihad Diary from Onyx Path Publishing, and that book is the story bridge between uh, the Vampire, the Masquerade that we all knew, and V5. So if you want to know what's happened in the meantime. Uh, Becca's Jihad Diary is the place to start. It's it's sitting next to my computer, and I'm I'm waiting for a good chunk of time for me to really <laughs> dig into it. It's a mighty isn't book. It, yeah, isn't it a beautiful? Book oh, it's too? it's beautiful. Like I, I definitely oh, got definitely. in on the Kickstarter for that one because that was. Mwah. Well, we were really thrilled to uh, to have Matthew Dawkins, who is the uh, one of the writer developers of Becca's Jihad Diary, come on board to uh, work on B5 with us. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I 
think you want to ask a different question. Go right ahead. Oh, no, that, that's, uh, that's fine. I, I actually just, I wanted to very briefly touch on, because I believe anyone who knows, you know, keeps their eye on the gaming uh, scene, know, know that, that V5 has caused uh, a bit of an uproar uh, amongst various communities. And I don't really want to go too much into it, because I actually think that mm-hmm. you covered it very well in your AMA. Um, there's just a few sort of Thanks. peripheral questions that, that I, I thought of and didn't get a chance to uh, – experience it live um but the thing that struck out at me the most um was that you know i understand people being passionate and you know having you know passionate opinions because you know this is a very emotionally involved hobby that we're involved in but what struck i think i think it's fair to say that fandom of any kind is by definition passionate and that's one of the things that's so great about it but what struck me was that that some portion of the community uh, and of varying opinions um, felt the the need to go sort of an extra step into you know harassment and and threats and even things that can do real harm like doxing and I'm just I'm it it seems to be so close to the surface no matter what your where you stand on on one side of one, any particular line and I was wondering what your thoughts on how we as a community and even as an industry can can stand up against that and try and sure. calm that down. I think it's fair to say that, um, that this isn't the only, ours is not the only fandom, uh, or the only community facing, um, this kind of issue. I think we see it, um, across the board in our culture and society. And you would be, I think you would be hard pressed to find, um, find a community or fandom that it isn't grappling with the very same question that you're asking. Um, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. I think it's really important to repeat something that I said in the um, the Ask Me Anything uh, that I did a few weeks ago, and that is that our community is open to everyone, unless your um, your views and your agenda is one of hate. That doesn't mean that we are going to um, encourage or look the other way um, when that kind of the kind of incivility that you're discussing happens. I think that we as a community should and must do better about being patient with each other and about listening to each other carefully and in good faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's super important is that uh, White Wolf especially needs to encourage its community to remind itself to um, approach things in good faith, to listen to each other, presuming the best of intentions rather than the, going immediately to the assumption that the worst of intentions are happening. Thank you. Uh, I think if we can yeah. do that, I think we can go a long way toward um, having a really deep, important, detailed, meaningful, and even passionate discussions, but without uh, behaviors like doxing and harassment. Understanding that we should approach it by thinking the best of each other first, I think, is really critical. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, before we kind of move on, I want to thank you for that AMA, by the way. I think that answered a vast majority of questions that we had because we did a very long sort of personal deep dive on our Patreon about the situation. And this was before your AMA. And we were voicing a lot of same things that you just voiced there and right now is good faith with one another let's let's all talk and not harass and not uh, take aggressive action towards one another because this is a game and we're all trying to have fun and trying to explore these very personal issues with one another you're welcome and thank you i'm glad it, i'm glad it was i'm glad it had the effect that we intended 
Yeah, um, yeah. There was a lot of conversation about like, what's the response of White Wolf? What's what are they saying? And then when we heard, yeah, they're doing a whole AMA thing, guys. We're gonna address all the issues, and right out the gate, you had some very poignant questions directed towards you. There was no softballing, yeah. and uh, you had address them admirably and uh, effectively, I think. Uh, to get us off this, like, <laughs> dead horse of a topic, I think, because I think you have <laughs> thoroughly destro- destroyed any worries. So, uh, a little bit uh, of a personal bent. Uh, my favorite clan is and has always been the Malkavian clan. Um, huh. I, I, Why is that? Well, because... <laughs> oh, we're being interviewed now. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, <laughs> I... It, you are being recorded, yes? Yes, I am, indeed. Um... The I think my favorite is just because they have such a different perspective, and you can you yes. can you can play any perspective from that clan, um, and you know they're uh, among the creatures of the night. In, in even in a way, the Nosferatu, uh, they're they're very much the other um, because yes. you know they're halfway outside of reality, uh, whereas the Nosferatu are just in the sewers. Um, but. Over the years, uh, and especially as I've become more aware of, you know, and, and have become friends with people who have mental illness, I've actually become, I won't say uncomfortable, but, but less comfortable with the, the clan because while I do believe that it is possible to be, you know, to play them, you know, respectfully um, and uh, without, uh, without being, uh, you know, an asshole about it, it's very easy to get that clan wrong. Uh, and I was wondering what did, what, if anything, have you guys done uh, with that in mind, with the idea of being more res- being respectful to people with mental illness in, in relation to that clan? One of the things uh, that we've done is um, we have uh, we've changed the story focus of the Malkavians. Yes, it's true that they that they do still suffer from um, some type of mental derangement as part of their as part of their curse, um, but. Uh, the the core nature of the clan is not necessarily uh, what we would think of in, as insanity. Uh, instead, um, I think it's fair to say that um, the focus is on their gifts of insight and how they see the world, their oracular abilities, their um, their talent for seeing the hidden, the second sight, if we were to use an old term, and their um, uh, their function uh, as those who see what is hidden or is um, just beyond the sight of others. And that gift, that, uh, that ability to see um, beyond uh, the veil of the ordinary is more important now than ever before. It's always been a part of the clan, of course. Um, there have always been, been oracles and prophets among the Malkavians. But in, in the modern nights, that really is a more important part of their story than um, the fact that they they happen to have um, a mental illness or a, or a derangement. I, I love it. I I can't wait. <laughs> but I, I think um, you know in well, I guess what we call new wad, uh, you would be you would you know start out as your base person. You're you're just a human being, and then as as suggested by character creation, you then apply the template. Um, do you foresee that that will be kind of how we're going to stick to it now? Like, are we going to just, we're going to start as a human being and then we're going to apply this supernatural template on top of them? Uh, you're talking about, um, what was done in, uh, in the Chronicles of Darkness, um, books, the, um, the excellent Chronicles of Darkness, uh, from, uh, Onyx Path Publishing. So, um, 
No. Uh, the character creation process in Vampire 5th Edition is one of my favorite parts about the new rule system. Um, and it makes a couple of assumptions. Uh, it does, of course, encourage you to, um, to concept from the basis of your human self first and then create your character from that concept, but it does not have you create a human character with um, statistics and then apply a template to it. You're mm -hmm. creating a vampire much more like you would have done in Vampire the Masquerade previous editions. Um, what I really like about the character creation rules, though, in V5, is that um, it assumes that the default way to create your character now is as a group at the table together in a kind of session zero where you sit down together, talk about what you want from the game, the themes and stories you want to explore, and then start working out your character concepts together as a group. And that applies to um, coterie creation as well. One of the um, one of the most consistent pieces of feedback we've got throughout the entire development process uh, from fans was, please give us an easy reason to get vampires working together right from the first game. You know, try to find a way for them to work together naturally. They can still, of course, you know, have disagreements and be opposed to each other, but try to help us get playing faster. And so coterie creation is also now um, a group function. As you create your characters together, you then shift over to coterie creation. You talk about what, what brings our vampires together. What do they want to accomplish? What are their group goals? Who are their enemies? What advantages do they have together? And I think by, by sharing that narrative uh, as a collaborative process, it makes the character creation part of the game even more fun. Uh, and it comes out with some really strong characters and great motivations as well. That sounds really great. I think that that is a way of doing what Vampire has always been doing, but like with a laser focus. Um so a question that, that I've had is that, you know, White Wolf has, has made, you know, all sorts of statements about how they want to push this brand into multiple uh, media and venues and basically get it out as, as far as you can. And I look at some stuff that uh, Wizards of the Coast is doing. Um, yeah. They've been partnering and sponsoring uh, live play, uh, like streams yes. and VODs and podcasts. Um, and I think that that's – that is – of all the, the new developments in role-playing, that's the one that personally excites me the most is, mm -hmm. you know, having this thing that, you know, has always just happened around a table be also a performance that you can share with people. Also, we'd like an application. Yes. <laughs> but what, what, what the, the, the do you think White Wolf or has there been any talks about partnering or sponsoring uh, live play uh, shows, for lack of a better term? Yeah, I'm super interested in this question uh, just because – I think it's been seminal in the idea of, of hammering home the pop culture nature of role-playing to normal people. Uh, I think we couldn't agree with you more. I think that there are two extraordinary things about um, the live stream phenomenon. And one of them is that um, uh, whoever thought that it would be entertaining to watch other people play role-playing games. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Yeah. Right. But it is. It's incredibly entertaining. I, I, I had there, there are half a dozen streams at least that I try not to miss. I couldn't possibly watch all the streams that I would want to watch. I just don't have the, the time. Uh, but it's amazingly entertaining. Um, but I think the second, the second important thing about it is that, um, it demystifies the whole thing, right? Oh, yeah. Um, 
when you when you watch uh, a role playing game live stream, you suddenly understand intuitively exactly what role playing is, how it works, how much fun it is, um, what's and whether or not it's right for you. And I think that demystification has been hugely important, key really to the um, to the renaissance that we're experiencing in tabletop role playing right now. So, given that those two things are true. Um, of course, White Wolf is exploring that, um, and we'll get our attention on it super quickly right after, right after Gen Con. Uh, now that, uh, V5, which has been our, our primary focus, uh, is, uh, about to, um, get into the hands of fans around the world, uh, we can turn our attention towards some of the next logical, uh, things to explore, and live streaming will be part of that. I'm looking forward to it. Send me your application. <laughs> Fair. No, Will it's in the mail. Yeah. Done. Give me give me a link. <laughs> Approved. Stamp. Give, stamp. Give me a link and we'll make it happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll put my e- I'll send you my email. Oh, fantastic. Oh, excellent. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. So let's move back uh, more towards V5 and sort of the setting and get into some nitty gritty stuff because I'm super eager because of your AMA. You hinted at a lot of like. Yeah. Like what the current state of affairs for the vampire community is with the advent of cameras and cell phones and cameras everywhere and the idea of large scale mass surveillance and data mining. What are the right. vampires doing nowadays to keep themselves hidden? Because back in the day, that stuff wasn't as prevalent. So you could be skulking in the darkness and do some sure. nasty things and nobody would notice. No, very, very true. And of course, the um, one of the one of the metaplot um, pillars, if you will, for V5 is that the Second Inquisition has discovered the existence of vampires. In fact, they discovered it because the Camarilla told them in, in hopes that it would wipe out their enemies. And of course, they unleashed a, a monster on, on all vampires that they can no longer control. The, um, the reaction to modern technology is very dependent on the individual vampire and the faction to which they belong. What you're going to see is a Camarilla that recoils in horror from the technological truths of the world and becomes even more neo-feudal, even more archaic, and protects itself by trying to vanish off the grid as much as is practical in the modern night. And that means adopting uh, communications technologies that perhaps went out in previous eras or even centuries. Um, this is when the knowledge of the elders, uh, the knowledge that the elders have of spycraft from the Renaissance or even the Middle Ages or the Revolutionary War eras, um, the, the Age of Revolutions rather, or even something as recent as the World Wars could become very, very um, helpful when trying to communicate clandestinely within a city and between cities. So the Anarchs, on the other hand, and of course um, vampires who are embraced more recently, have less fear of technology. And um, they are much more likely to find ways to make it work for them and to subvert it. The, the best way to avoid detection is to control those whose eyes might be watching. And vampires are, are gifted manipulators, of course. Um, they are always um, looking for ways to make sure that um, what people think they're seeing is not what is believed. So I don't want to give away too many of the specific details, but I'll leave you with that overview. And um, I'll, I'll mention also that we do address this very topic, and we'll continue to address that in both the Camarilla and the uh, Anarch 
uh, seven books that are coming out um, later this year. Fantastic. So um, as the new mechanic of Hunger Dice is obviously mm -hmm. it looms very large. Yes. So obviously you're going to want a way to allay your hunger or at least have, you know, you're going to want to eat. <laughs> so um, how much of a focus in terms of mechanics are there going to be in the hunt, the actual hunt for blood? Because um, in my personal experience, this has actually been kind of the part where we glaze over it a lot. We were just like, yeah, of course, you go eat a guy. It's fine. Um, where, mm -hmm. So how much of a focus will be in the hunt and mechanizing that aspect of the game? So it depends, of course, on what the what the play experience is that that the table wants. If the play, if the table would prefer to um, uh, to make it an abstract process like it has been previously, the rules do support that, and they can continue to do so. Um, the default idea, though, is the hunt is um, a very conscious choice and it's deliberate, and it's um, you know, it's a core part of being a vampire. Um, there are mechanics presented for the hunt, and they uh, are as simple as they can. They range from as being simplistic as a, a die roll and count successes, and, and that's it, to um, a fairly detailed process that um, can be as uh, involved and granular as the players think would be fun to do. Awesome! Hmm. That sounds like there's yeah. some great options for that because I know I know some people can find that aspect of the game actually fairly troubling, uh, given, you know, mm -hmm. how, how intimate of an experience it can be. Uh, oh, yeah. The game scales up and down really well. And I, that's true of all aspects of the game. However you like to play, um, the, um, the, uh, the PDF, uh, that we're releasing, um, at Gen Con on August 2nd has, um, a lot of extended information about how to handle some of those more troubling, uh, aspects of play. There's a lot of great guidance in there about, um, uh, how to talk about these things as players before you start play, how to make sure that everybody's comfortable, how to make sure everybody understands what consent is and how it happens. And there are uh, some great techniques uh, in the PDF that talk about um, how to run things at your table that might be um, uncomfortable for some people, but to do it in a very, very safe way. So another one of the, the, the mechanics that also reinforces the, the setting uh, that I found particularly intriguing was the humanity system uh, that mm -hmm. that I, you know, I, I have always felt that that was probably one of the strangest and weirdest abstractions that the system uh, engages in. But I think what you guys yeah. have shown uh, really kind of refines it and makes it modular to a degree uh which i find very impressive because you know what what's humans can't decide on what's what our moral code is um <laughs> so I, I think that that expressing that as modularly as you have was a really good move um and i think looking forward a little bit and perhaps even looking back quote unquote uh like when you talk about things like paths and roads of humanity in the dark ages mm -hmm. i like i can see where you can go with that i'm assuming that yes. there's been some thought put into that direction yes there was and and um i think you can easily see how paths and roads could be extrapolated from the humanity system um that we that we created um modular is the is the right word for it but also very very customizable um it's very very important to us uh to reflect um, a global audience. And uh, as you pointed out, not everyone can agree on every conviction and every tenet of daily life, let alone uh, you know, overarching beliefs and tenets. So super important to acknowledge that different people see the world differently. Uh, 
And there should be a way to play vampires that believe very, very different things while still trying to coexist um, in the same city and, and really in the same world. The humanity as a downward spiral is still there. Mm-hmm. That's always been a, that's always been a, a core core conceit of vampire, and the um, the central struggle of humanity against the beast is still there as well, and also very very important. Um, as vampires violate their convictions or allow uh, harm to come to their their touchstones, their humanity can become stained, and they have to deal with that. Humanity just like hunger is a kind of a risk management system. How far can you go before you need to pay for the terrible things that you've done? Because you will pay sooner or later. It's inevitable. The question is how much and when, and where will you draw the line that that hasn't changed from the very first vampire, the masquerade, although we do look at it differently and express it differently now. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that actually brought up something that I hadn't thought of previously. Uh, how likely mm-hmm. is it, do you think, that, that uh, either through White Wolf directly or through a license that will that will be going back to the Dark Ages or other, other periods of history with the new system? I don't know if I could tell you how likely it is. I can tell you that as a, as a licensing company, uh, White Wolf has a lot of great partners who are working on um, uh, a lot of cool – uh, products, books, and otherwise, some of which have been announced and some of which will be announced in the future. And that, uh, if we get, um, you know, if we get a pitch for a really great, um, dark ages product that, um, wants to incorporate this system, I think we'd look at it very seriously. In- fantastic. Very cool. And very Ma- cool. Matthew and I run, ran a, a dark ages LARP, uh, back in the day and, and it still has a place in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, yeah, it was called mandate of power. It was, it was, it was a silly thing. It was a very silly thing, but it was great. It was so much fun. Dark ages is my favorite vampire setting actually. Uh, um, I, I kind of agree with you because I just love the idea. It's got a little bit of the modern night. You can see where the modern mm-hmm. night is and, but it's still got the old, old sort of freedom you are a vampire sort of the sabbat feel without all of the hang-ups of the sabbat and so you can see where those two sort of core uh beliefs diverged as time went on but when you play in medieval in the, this medieval time you're like oh you are a vampire you're dealing with all the cool vampire stuff but you also have to deal with like people and politics and the stuff that's going on in that very turbulent time i'm i'm certainly hoping that somebody has a great idea that we can look at oh i'm sure somebody will have a dozen ideas about what they can do because because i will say i've looked at that system and i'm i like what i'm seeing um it's slimmed down nice. it makes more sense it's a very cool way especially with the idea of hunger dice and the idea of messy criticals the idea of mm-hmm. your beast can help you but it it's not going to be pretty and you're not going to there's going to be some consequences for doing it plus just the idea of having to always deal with hunger um just the idea of like yeah, you never know when your hunger is going to strike. You have to be – you have to kind of have to think far ahead of what you want to do in order to deal with the situation. Well, on behalf of the design team, let me thank you. Um, <laughs> they, they, I think they did uh, an incredible job at taking uh, what was the most important part of Vampire and creating rules for it that are fast and fun, but that, again, scale up and scale down. Um, you know, players who – you know, would rather not roll quite so often for hunger, just have to scale the, the dice frequency up or, or change the system a little bit. And we give you guidance to do that. And those who want uh, an even more intense hunger cycle 
um, can adjust the die rolls uh, mm-hmm. some suggestions that we have. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm super eager to see how generation will fall in, especially like your idea. There's sort of a two axis of generation now. There's sort of a blood mm-hmm. potency and a generation, and they combine yes. to give you a better idea of where you sit in sort of the metaphysical hierarchy of things. Right. Not all 13th generation vampires are the same. Yeah, which is very interesting. I'm super eager to see uh, all I, I remember a certain uh, 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 pander that you played that was very, very old. Oh, yeah. And yet very low generation. Yeah, he was very, yeah, it was, he, yeah, uh, he was, he was, okay, he considered himself the true vampire because he didn't have this silly clan thing. Whatever yeah, he was, he was lying to himself. Yeah, I <laughs> was crazy. Um, but uh, uh, I'm actually interested. So speaking of that and mm-hmm. that old character, if you can tell us, because this is this is probably bordering on the you probably don't want to say, how do modern knights in V five view because the stuff in the time of judgment is may have happened or happened in a slightly different way? Well, let's say the things that in Beckett's jihad diary and, happened. Yeah, the stuff that in Beckett's jihad diary has happened. How do they view the Antediluvians and or Cain now? Because is that part of everyone's sort of idea? Or are they trying to deny it? What's going on with that? Sure. We do touch on that um, to a degree in the core book. You will, you'll read a lot more about that in the Camarilla and Anarch setting books. And I, I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to reveal too much about those just yet. Um, but what I can tell you is that um, the events of Gehenna, whatever it was or whatever it, it, it was not, um, certainly has uh, created uh, an impression and some changes in the outlook uh, of some vampires. I think that um, what you'll see first and foremost is that um, some vampires um, stick pretty closely to the myth of Cain. And they um, they still believe in the, the the origination myth as detailed in the Book of Nod, but um, plenty of vampires believe other things too. There are there are more than a few vampires who think that that's not not true, and that maybe Lilith is the first uh, vampire. She's the progenitor. Um, and there are uh, even other beliefs uh, out there as well. It's in a time of such uncertainty as the kindred are going through right now. It's difficult to know exactly what to believe. Uh, when you go through uh, Becca's Jihad diary, you'll find an idea that says that maybe Gehenna did happen, but it wasn't what we thought, or it didn't look like what we thought it would, mm-hmm. or maybe worse, it's cyclical. <laughs> it again oh, no. and again and again. Um, maybe even differently each time, and that we are simply interpreting the signs incorrectly because of our limited viewpoint. That's really – that's very interesting. That actually – it makes me uh, – it, it reminds me a little bit of the stuff that got explored in uh, the Requiem, uh, particularly the Circle of the Crone, who had all sorts of beliefs about where vampires came from. And, and Oh, yeah. It sounds like you've taken some inspiration from that that experiment, essentially. Well, and I definitely like the idea of vampires, modern vampires, like – that was always the big issue back in the day with vampires. Like it's in the book, it's canon. This is what's really happening, and it definitely sounds like White Wolf uh, and Onyx Path when they made Requiem is the idea of memory is fallible. It's not perfect. The your beliefs, your myths are just that. They may be true. They may not be true. You don't know, and you can't trust just because. It, sure, someone's a learned scholar, but he may get a few facts wrong. The unreliable narrator is uh, part of Vampire the Masquerade ever since the beginning, and I think that I think that sometimes we, as uh, as fans, because we're all fans too, forget is that um, there may be no objective truth, even though it's in a rule book. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and or I, the objective truth may be very different from what we think we're reading. Very cool, because I definitely enjoy sort of that idea of because every game is different, that way when one person goes to one game to another game, they aren't beholden to the idea that this absolutely has to be the way I to th- do a game. I think, uh, I think being written in voice is kind of one of the things that made White Wolf what it what it is in, in comparison to say Dungeons and Dragons. It's what makes it the other the other guy because you had you actually had it from a boots on the ground perspective of a character in that world instead of just a very dry rule. I mean obviously there are dry rules text because they're for God's mm-hmm. sake there have to be. But <laughs> yeah. you know, having it told from the viewpoint I, I have read the Ravnos uh clam book second edition probably like three times. I love it. I just mm-hmm. so you know it's that kind of stuff that really matters. And also, like, the, the fact that, you know, Gehenna may be cyclical or the origin may not, but we thought, squares up with the idea that, you know, uh, we're, we're working on a roughly 6,000-year time frame if we're assuming that the, the, the Bible story is true, but we know that that's, the Earth is far older and that we, <laughs> we as a species are far older, and the idea that, you know, maybe Cain is just a mask that gets worn for, for you know, the zeitgeist at the time, that's really intriguing. He's the one who got pegged with that with that little mm-hmm. mantle for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I want to take it back now that you've told us a little bit more about V5. Um, and obviously, we've had a very large breakdown of the alpha rules. And we'll probably have a very large breakdown of the core book once we get all our hands on it and we're able to actually okay. digest it. Uh, one of the things I'd like to talk about was more from uh, the actual White Wolf Company side of things is sure. – this. W- actually, this question came from our patron. And so uh, he would like to know more about – why did V5 – why did White Wolf decide not to go with the Kickstarter model that has become extremely prevalent in modern-day RPG development? Why did we decide not to crowdfund the book? Yeah. Um, we, uh, we felt that um, – well, for two reasons. One, um, uh, the budget existed to do it internally, so um, there, was no, there was no reason to, to crowdfund it. Um, but two, um, we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we were, there would be no, no question of, um, you know, how much funding that we would raise. Um, the, the problem with the crowdfunding, of course, is that it's a variable amount of funding. So you never know exactly how much you're going to raise. And we knew that we would need a certain budget to do it the way that, um, that we really wanted to do it. A certain amount of budget, photography, design, layout, writing, um, playtesting production and we didn't we didn't want to take the chance no I totally understand that because the because the budget was available there was there was really no reason to put that 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 risk or responsibility on our on our on our fans no totally um, I mean I, I guess this is more of a real hypothetical question but uh, given what you said in the AMA regarding uh, mm-hmm. you know going forward having longer playtest cycles and more uh, you know uh, more chances yeah. to get feedback I think one of the the benefits that a crowdfund option has is a lot of a lot of them release uh, to their backers a, a nearly complete version of the text uh, or at least what yeah. they have at the moment and that I've seen that reap great benefits in terms of playtesting and feedback and, and, and notes. Um, I guess that may have been a counterbalance, but I understand, you know, the decision was made when it was made. But just something to think about, I guess. Free editors. Yeah, free editors. <laughs> free editors, yes. Yeah, I think that is one of the benefits of crowdfunding. I agree. 
Actually, I think that's all the questions I currently have. You guys have any more for this good gentleman? I think that covers a lot of what we wanted to talk about. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much, Jason. I I appreciate this, and I I know everyone that's listening to this, the community outreach is in very good hands um, with you um, because I believe the AMA as well as the conversation here has really proven that there's a there's a nice conscientious focus on helping the audience have as much fun uh, responsibly as possible. That is exactly what we are all about. Cool. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate the chance to talk with you. We are honored, actually. So uh, with any further ado, um, have a good day. Thank you very much. You as well. Well, that was a hell of an interview. Indeed Wasn't that nice? Was. He was he was so nice. Yeah, he's a really nice dude. Yeah, he's really nice. He he knows his stuff like. Yeah, that's why he's doing what he's yeah, doing. He had some really great answers. I, I think we. Uh, uh, I'm it, really it got me f- pumped. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. Looking forward to V five. Also, get the fucking application in, please. <laughs> I want to be part of the sponsored live plays. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna put some thought into it once I get my hands on the book. Um, yep. That's something we haven't done yet. We will get our hands on either the PDFs or the physical books, um, and that way we can we will do be doing a deep dive of V five when mm-hmm. we all Absolutely. have the books. I feel like I'd be a little disingenuous if I didn't drop some smackos on that uh, this very day. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and then we recommend it because all the links are in the show notes for anything we talked about. So please feel free to go through all of those um, from the interview itself. Besides this wonderful presentation, um, I was really looking forward to uh, the coterie stuff. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Um, Yeah, man. Codifying Uh, why a group of vampires in not the Sabad mm -hmm. are together dealing with each other and trying to, like accomplish a goal together. Yeah, that's always ma- made the less, the least sense in the Camarilla. Yeah. Uh, the Anarchs have a little bit more reason to do with it because they're not as connected to their clan structures. Also, they're scrappy. And they're scrappy and young and I'll hang out with who I want to, Dad. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, anyone who's ever, like, because, you know, for most of vampire history, the cam has been the default setting and it, like... Yes, of course you're supposed to be in a party in this party-based game, except the last 200-plus pages have done nothing to enforce that <laughs> whatsoever. You hate everyone. That's why in, like, Laws of Night and By Night Studios, it kind of makes better sense as a LARP, a yeah. salon LARP, because everyone's very individualistic. You can put in downtimes for just the stuff that you're doing. You can be hyper-focused about your thing and not really have to you deal with just, other people too much. You can just go be racist in a corner if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as long as you're in that corner. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, where you will be soon, Matt. But not real world, no, right? I, not because I was racist. Not, not because you're a racist, <laughs> not, but for other reasons. <laughs> but not but not for real world racism, just vampire racism, vampire which racism. is much more acceptable. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, we didn't. We I totally forgot about that. We didn't mention that uh, in the interview, but White Wolf released a little short sort of demonstrating that the Tremere clan is going through a lot of upheaval and, in V5. Uh, and they, they've also released uh, videos called The Gentleman's Guide to Vampire, uh, which actually talks about what's going on with the Tremere in depth. So for Ooh, some nice. reason, you're at Gen Con right now and haven't seen those. Pull it up. Yeah, pull it up. Take a look, sees. While yeah. you're while you're eating your food court or or uh, food truck me- meals, or you just got a couple hours to burn, and you're yeah. not doing much. Enjoy that barbecue mac and cheese. Yeah, really get in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, for the interview, guys, what did you like the most? What what would you appreciate? What would you like to talk about? I mean, I I liked hearing that they are full throated behind uh, live plays mm-hmm. uh, because Thief. man, that's just a that's just a ripe field. That uh, that no, I don't think anyone really saw coming for a, for the past couple of years. No, oh, no, it 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 
Critical Role. Thank you very much. Critical yeah, Role. Critical Role is a real pioneer in that. And then, you know, Acquisitions Incorporated and... and then uh, everyone else that's been... Camera Action, uh, all the shit at Geek and Sundry. It's... It's a it's a field, and I'm looking forward to it. And right? I think that if they embrace they, this is a very interesting thing to because okay, we've talked about this a million times. D and D is eighty to ninety percent, maybe ninety five percent of every live play that's ever existed forever, mm-hmm. and, and as maybe of right we'll, now, and maybe will ever exist for all the fuck we know. Yeah, but so, if White Wolf starts throwing its its weight behind that, yeah, maybe we'll see some more diversity. Well, the, I've uh, well, here's the thing. It's the most public-facing mm-hmm. live plays, actual plays that you see mm-hmm. that gets promoted because of the weight of, yeah. of Critical and Geek and Sundry Dude. and Wizards of the Coast. I know a lot of Deadlands, Shadowrun, yeah. well, all, a lot of other games exist. They're out there. You can, I mean, you can. It's it's like YouTube. You can put anything on Twitch. Yeah, um, but it's just. I think the ones that really get a lot of push are the ones that have uh, our RPG company behind them. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Because they just had the production value and the personal advertisement mm-hmm. budget to do that kind of stuff. And in terms of what I like the most is the full mechanical acknowledgement of uh, Game Zero. I think that yeah. that's... Uh, I yeah. know. And that that's just warms my heart a little bit because as a person, like, the first game I ever tried to play was Vampire the Masquerade, guys, and I think I've made it pretty clear over these last, what, 68 episodes. Didn't go great. Didn't, didn't go great. There's a reason that I say that Vampire the Masquerade always ends in killing cops. It, <laughs> it, it's like, it just devolves into it, that. It's literally like... All right, all right Ryan. In, in my Anarch game, you're going to be cops. Scott... I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. That's stupid. yeah. Like I was about to say something super unkind. Vampire, <laughs> vampire cop. I'm okay. I'm okay with being a vampire cop. I'm not. I'm not. I I'm don't. Not okay. I can't. Don't make me do that. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't want to stack stack system of, of oppression on top of each other too much. <laughs> oh no, it's it's oppressionception. Uh. Actually, and the whole notion of a a session zero is very cool, especially with all the concerns that people have had about the content and the direction that V5 is going for. I love that the idea is like, no, you all need to sit down and talk about this. This is a capital M mature game. This is not just about being controversial. This mm-hmm. is about really exploring the dark natures that exist and, in our world. And of course, much like we have talked about with the controversy, there are going to be people who use the toolbox wrong. But at least, at the very least, in the text of the rule book, it says that you should sit down and talk through what you are and are not comfortable with and what themes you don't feel comfortable touching on. And I, and I, th- I think one of the most important things he said, I think this will be the third time we've talked about this, coming to that conversation in good faith. Mm-hmm. Good faith, yes. Absolutely. That was kind of the byword. He took us away with like the idea of how White Wolf is approaching its audience mm-hmm. and how it wants to talk to its audience. And how, how they'd like the conversation to be framed. Yeah. Which is totally reasonable. I mean, I, I you know, it, it, the, the notion that they have some sort of secret right-wing agenda when, you know, they're, they're Swede knights uh, who are just way more left than we are in general. It's, yeah. It's a little weird. It was a... what. I could go all day about mm-hmm. this, but I don't. But we, think yeah, we, we need actually, to. if you really want to hear our opinions, you can give us a buck and you can go listen to it on our Patreon. Oh, I'm and, really interested and, in that. You know, I gotta say, we were right. Yeah, <laughs> I, we I was. Mo- were. I was kind of right. And also, by the way, two weeks later, me, it's fine. 
It's, yeah. probably, it's mostly fine. Thanks, hey. to, thanks to the man we just interviewed. Yeah, they, they, they put the right man out there to really like clearly delineate and explain that guy is uh, unflappable, in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, he got much harder questions from the AMA than we we pitched to him. I don't know, man. I didn't go into it uh, going on him about sword and fist. It has his name on the cover. We have to be nice. We have to be nice to our guests. That game, that book ruined a lot of D anD. d Okay, <laughs> for min maxers, it had to be banned from our table. Yeah. It was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but uh, actually, uh, yeah, and so it was a great interview. Obviously, you just heard it. it we really loved it. Um, we're going to go pick up V5. I'm much more confident about picking yeah, up that product, supporting that. supporting the product, which I was glad I could do it because I really want to go deep dive into it. Even if I don't get to play it that often, it'd be nice. It's a good yeah, thing I, to have. I think, I think at the very least, I'll have a short run campaign, uh, if not a longer campaign. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be... And maybe be. you'll play and it will be very cool and you'll have a great experience. I welcome a positive vampire experience. <laughs> I welcome <laughs> I, it. I, I've been I, wanting it for 15 <laughs> years. Scott, get on that. Uh, if, if not you, James ob- Davey. Obligation. <laughs> James, da- James Davey said that the next game he wants to... Well, well he, he wants to run his own... He game. wants to run his own juice, but he also said, when I told him I had never had a positive mm-hmm. experience... He did say he wanted to run some vampire. Yeah. So I'm like, we'll see about that, James. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll we see will absolutely I'm see. I'm just seeing that I'm going to, okay, once I get my space together, I'm going to need to like find some way of having like dark atmosphere and yet still have the lighting. Uh, oh, veils. Lots of veils. Yeah, veils. I mean, Candles. I, I think I know, a couple, I know a couple of goth girls who might help you. Oh, no, not goth girls. If you invite them across their threshold, then they'll make everything spoopy. <laughs> oh, no. I think that's the point. Yeah, okay, no. never mind. Throw me in the briar patch. <laughs> <laughs> but well, anyways, uh, anything more to say? No, nah, I think I think, I think we're, I think we've said what we needed to say on the subject. And again, But yeah, thanks to White Wolf. Thanks, uh, Jason. Thanks, Jason. next week, at our regularly scheduled time, we'll have, holy shit, another interview. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Guys. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> how many more important, awesome game people we can interview. I, th- I think I'm going to have to just go find Gary Gygax's course. I don't know. I'll get the I'll get the iron nails. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let me go get the 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 reagents. <laughs> all right. So that that'll be all from us. So from everyone here at Polyhedron, go where your fun is. Go roll some dice. Hey, Matthew here. I just wanted to let you know, if you want to get feedback to Polyhedron, you can go to polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to the show's Twitter handle at polyhedroncast. Uh, if you'd really like to help us out, you can go to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash polyhedron. Uh, give us a buck a month and become one of our bosses and really support the show. And if you're looking to get in touch with us on Twitter, you can find Matthew at BioImportance. You can find Scott at DivisMallCav. And you can find Ryan at Arduous. Do you want to spell it? R-J-U-O-U-S. And finally, just so we can wrap it up here, if you are listening to this on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere, give us a five-star review. It really helps our exposure. All right. Thanks, guys. Don't let your dreams be dreams!